You know, today we've got such a privilege because God no longer lives in, in temples as he did in the past, in a temple. But he lives in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're carriers of his glory. We're carriers of his spirit. But in those days, somehow, it, it wasn't possible, of course, because Jesus hadn't uh, died on the cross to make it possible. But he still wanted to live in their midst. And he wanted them to have a, he wanted a house in Jerusalem. So we're just going to look at God's house. Now, I'm going to rely on paintings today, so apologies. I, sh- I should have asked a pastor to do it, really, because they've, <laughs> they've been so much better. But uh, if you haven't seen his paintings, you ought to. They're brilliant. Um, but uh, there's, a, there's a picture of, of the temple. And, you know, this was just more than a place of ritual. It was a place where God actually dwelt with his... Uh, his own presence was there. You remember some of the Psalms that said, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. That's Psalm 84. So there was something very special about that place because it had that wonderful presence of the Holy God. But you know, because he is a holy God, sinful men cannot approach him. This is the wonder of it, you know, that we have the Holy Spirit, God himself living in us. In those days, sinful men couldn't approach his presence. And in fact, you can see there, right on the left-hand side, the first thing that you encounter when you come to the house of God. And it's an altar. And on that altar were sacrificed animals. Now, it seems very gory and uh, unnecessary to us, but it was a very powerful reminder to the people of God that as they approach him, there needs to be a sacrifice. The scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So every time they went to the temple, there would be the the smoke from the altar saying that we need a savior. We need need a sacrifice. We need forgiveness. We need a pardon for our sins. Well, we take up the story a little bit after the temple had been built because sinful as they were, the people of God gradually drifted away. And it's so easy, isn't it, to drift away little by little, letting the world uh, come in. And God had to take drastic action, as he sometimes did in the Old Testament, you know, just to preserve that, those people and just to keep the way of salvation, the, the, the plan of salvation open. So the temple, the... Babylonians came in, the temple was destroyed, the people were sent into exile. But uh, if you remember the story, miraculously, 70 years or so later, they were allowed to come back to their own land and to rebuild the temple. Can I get the temple on? Can 
we have the next slide, please? Because it's not working here. Thank you. Okay. And here we have the position as it was um, a few years after they'd returned from uh, exile in Babylon. And you can see that actually the altar is there, the sacrifices are going up, but the rest of it hadn't been built. They'd got so far, and they'd had quite a bit of opposition and discouragement, and so things had ground to a halt. They got to the point where they got the sacrifice, they'd found the pardon for their sins, but they hadn't got the presence. And so God sends them a prophet, the prophet Haggai. And I'm going to read the first 13, chap- 13 verses. <laughs> 13, you're okay till 4 o'clock, aren't you? <laughs> first 13 verses of Haggai. It's coming up on the screen, but if you want to follow it in your, on your phone or in your Bible, if you have one. Um, here we go. You can see it okay? Yeah. In the second year of King Darius, he was the Persian king who'd allowed the people to come back to the land. On the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Zed... Sorry, I don't know this one. Jezadak, yes. Um, The high priest and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai. 
because the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the, to the Lord, from, of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. So the word of the prophet comes and stirs up the people. He brings a rebuke. But uh, look, he says you're off track. You're not quite there. You've started to look to your own affairs and you're not putting me at the center. You're forgetting that I want to be at the center. I am the Lord Almighty God. This is why I created you. I created you to be at the center of your lives. You're not meant to go off on your own. It doesn't work if you do that. It doesn't work if we just put ourselves at the center, and not have him. Because he's made us. He's our creator. And that's, what, that's, what's, that's how it's meant to function. And so the oil wasn't there, the wine wasn't there, uh, the, the grain wasn't there. You know, all, each one of those is a symbol of, um, of something. Have I got this on the next slide? Yeah. You know, grain, the bread which is a symbol of strength, our strength. The, uh, the new wine, symbol of joy. The olive oil, the Holy Spirit's illumination. Each one of those, you know, if we haven't got each one of those, there's something missing in our lives. If we don't have the strength of God, if we don't have the joy of God, if we don't have the oil of the Holy Spirit, then we're not functioning as God intended us to function. And so here we are, these, these people, it was imperative that they... Uh, came in touch with God, you know, because I say they'd, they'd found the pardon, but they hadn't found the presence. They'd found forgiveness, but they'd lost a sense of fellowship with God. They'd found clemency, but not communion. They'd come from banishment, but not found the blessing. You know, God desires more than just for us to have a, a free pardon And if you like, as some people characterize it, a ticket to heaven. He he desires more, uh, to give us more than that. And, uh, you know, sometimes I I take issue with, well, no, I won't go there. I won't go there. (laughs) I'm not going to be negative today. I'm going to be positive. Okay. But, you know, uh, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Let us, therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about Christ, let us press on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, important as though that is, and of faith towards God. Let us press on to maturity. And I really believe that's where God is taking us. I think that's what we've been hearing over the last few weeks. Let's press on to maturity. And I want to kind of, uh, if you like, give you a little bit of a roadmap to that maturity. How does it work? what What is it? that we need to understand. What do we need to, do, to know to get the, the, the joy of the wine, the, the olive oil of, of the Holy Spirit, and the strength uh, of God? And I think we can, we can learn a lot from this pattern of the temple. So I'm going to put up a few slides that, uh, um, in a moment anyway, that I've shown before. But let's just take a look 
inside God's house. Now, I don't know if you've ever been uh, somewhere like Windsor Castle. or um, I've never been to Buckingham Palace, but, uh, but yeah. It's, but, you know, when, when you go in, there's actually, a, if, particularly if the monarch's there, there's a sense of their presence. You know, you get that sense that, oh, there's a sense of awe. There's something different here. And there are different protocols that you have to observe. And things that, uh, you know, perhaps you would have done outside that you won't do inside. So it's just the same as we enter the presence of God, you know. And as, as we enter this wonderful temple, uh, things are a little bit different. You can see that's the first part that you, that you enter. And the priests are there. In fact, only the priests were allowed in there. But that's good news for us because the Bible says that we are priests of the living God. Okay? So that's no problem. But in those times, only the priests could go. And there were certain items of furniture there, which we'll look at in a moment. But you can see the curtain at the end. And that's the curtain that actually screened off the very presence of God in the most holy place. Can't see it. Oh, there we go. And behind the curtain was the Ark of the Covenant, which contain the very presence of God. And of course, when Jesus died, that curtain was taken down. God removed it from the top to the bottom. It tore it down. And uh, some of the Jewish um, uh, writings record this and how the temple door would not close. It kept coming open because God is saying, now you can enter my presence. You can come in. You see, as New Testament believers, we have this wonderful wonderful privilege of entering right into the presence of God. And I thought it was great last week when Isabella read that uh, scripture about entering into the presence. You know, every time we come to worship, we can come into that most holy place and experience that the presence of God, communion with God, fellowship with him. And that's his desire, is to draw us in to that place. We're not meant to stay on the outside. He's inviting us in. He's inviting us to come up higher, to come further, to go on to maturity. So let's see what we can learn from uh, the temple and uh, this message for us. There's the altar of incense. Uh, sorry, the, um, uh, the, the um, Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. And so there we go, a floor plan of what it was like. Three parts, the outer court. Now, that was all that had been constructed in Haggai's time. But the holy place and the most holy place. And I just believe the Lord wants to challenge us today. You know, are we people that want to stay in the outer court? That's great. You know, God receives us. We become his sons. And we're part of his family. But actually, there's more. And these two places, to me, speak of different levels, if you like, of the Christian life. And I want to talk particularly about the holy place today. Um, just touch on the most holy place, but just the holy place um, where we meet with God in a, in a different sort of way. Well, there's the altar, and uh, here's all the different um, bits of furniture. I'll just go quickly through these. You can see the um, Ark, the Ark of the Covenant uh, in the holy place, most holy place. 
Before that is the altar of incense, which typifies our worship to God. And there's a, the, the menorah, the seven-branch candlestick. Now that typifies, that's the oil, it's, it's fed by oil. It typifies to us the light of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enlightening our minds. The Holy Spirit showing us things. Now, I believe that God wants to take us on more and more to be people of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit enlightens us. So we're moving as um, not just in our own natural wisdom, not just in the things that uh, we've learned and habits that we have, but there's a new dynamic. I believe that God wants to put a new dynamic in each one of us. Many of us, you know, have, have, have walked in that, but perhaps God wants just to sharpen it. He wants the oil to flow more freely. He wants greater revelation. And so I, I just felt the Lord was really saying today that he wants us to press on, to get to the oil, to get to the Holy Spirit's enlightening. Uh, let's become people of the Spirit, not people of the flesh, people of the Spirit. Now, this is really where I want to spend most of the time this morning. The first thing that we encounter as we come over the threshold into this place of greater maturity is a table which had 12 loaves of bread on it. Those 12 loaves of bread were very special. They had to be renewed regularly. They they were sprinkled with frankincense and they were called the bread of the presence or the bread of the face or sometimes the showbread. And God was saying that he wants this, he said to, his, uh, to Moses that he wanted this there all the time, fresh and open. Now, as I said, that the bread is a symbol in scripture of strength. And our strength, the strength of our, of our souls is the will. It's the will, it's, it's uh, what we really, you know, what, if I, I think you know what our will is, it's uh, it's that thing that God has given us, especially because he will not take charge of our will. We have free will, and what we do with it is entirely up to us. It's our responsibility, and God expects us to, have, to exercise it according to his, his word and his will. And this is where we begin this, and the entry into this second part of, of, of the temple. It's with laying down of our wills, of actually moving from a son to being a servant. You know, it's great to be a son or a daughter because we share the the inheritance, which is fantastic. But becoming a servant, we actually start to enter into the purposes that God has. You know, you can be a son without wanting to do what your father wants to do. You can just drift off on your own. You can be a prodigal son. But if your will is really surrendered to the father, then you become a servant. And... uh, there's, there's an even higher place than that, and that's as a friend in the most holy place, but we'll, we'll come on to that later on if we've got time. But the, the table of bread just signifies our wills. 
And uh, I believe, you know, God has been speaking to us a lot about this. Uh, every time uh, when St- uh, April spoke and Stu spoke, uh, they, they mentioned Reese Howells. And how he said to God, you know, I, this is really hard for me. I, I struggle with this. To lay down my will to you is really difficult. But I am willing to be made willing. And I think that's a good place to be. You know, Jesus is, is our um, example in all this. Uh, he's, our, he's a pioneer of our faith. He went ahead of us to show us how to do it. And, he, it, you know, it says he, he took on the role of a servant. Though he was God, he did not think equality of, uh, with God as something to cling on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He humbled himself in obedience to God. And Jesus showed us what it was like to do the will of the Father. You know, he says, I only do what I hear from my Father. I'm here on a mission to obey the voice of God. And, you know, it shouldn't be a hard thing for us. In our flesh it is, but it shouldn't be a hard thing for us if we're walking with God and close with him. Because it, it it actually takes faith to submit our will to him. Because... If we have that faith in him, we know that our, his will is the best thing for us. So if you feel sometimes, you know, God's asking me to do something which, oh, I don't want to do this. It's, not, it's difficult. It's, if you surrender to it, it's the best thing. It's absolutely the best thing for you. He will never ask you to do anything which is not the best for you and... Beyond that, the best for his kingdom. So I believe God's challenging us to move into that place of service where we surrender our will to his. You know, that bread is a wonderful picture because grain doesn't just miraculously become bread. It has to go through a process. And there's a process here that God has of refining us and making us more and more like Jesus. That's his destiny for you, is to make you like Jesus. It's ground, it's, it's milled, it's molded, and then sometimes it has to go through the test of fire, through the baking process. But uh, out of it comes nourishment, out of it comes strength. You know, when Jesus was in that agonizing place in the garden and he said, not my will but yours be done as he was facing the cross. At at that moment, it says, an angel came and strengthened him. When he reached the end of his strength, God strengthened him. Weak as he was in his flesh. You know, he he was a human being just as we were, as we are. God strengthened him supernaturally. And to do the will of God is a supernaturally strengthening thing. If you remember Jesus at the well, he was tired, he was, he was hungry, and he just, this is in John chapter 4, he just flopped down and said, oh guys, go and get me some bread. Go, go to a village and, and, and get me something, you know, something to eat. When, he came, when they came back with the bread and everything, he, he was fine. And they sort of looked at amazement, and he says, 
you know, I've, I've bread to eat that you don't know of. To do the, it's to do the will of my father. He spent a time of ministering to this lady and showing her her past and leading her to himself as Messiah. And, uh, he, you know, it, that in itself, just to do the will of God, was a strengthening thing for him. So, you know, out of our service does come strength. But sometimes we've got to get uh, some of those little grains, you know, ground down a little bit more. Uh, I remember when I was at Bible college, um, God really spoke to me. And uh, I'd perhaps just tell you this story because it, it might help somebody. Um, the Lord was speaking through, um, it was Colin Urquhart actually was speaking, and he, he was saying, you know, um, he, he was talking about God resisting the proud and exalting the humble. And I felt God said to me, you're too proud. And I thought, well, it's not really me, is it? You know, um, I'm quite a shy person, really. And, uh, but actually, underneath it, you know, I suddenly realized, yeah, so much of what I was doing, so much of it was all about me and what... And, and, you know, uh, sort of trying to defend myself and, and uh, pushing myself forward and so on. And the Lord really challenged me. It, it's had a, a, kind of, a kind of week of grounding and, and molding. And, you know, it's, it's taken a while. It's still going on. I mean, even, uh, I won't say why, but even on Friday night, I thought, oh, I'm defending myself here. I shouldn't be doing this. And, you know, a little bit more of the grain is sort of ground out. As, as, we, uh, as we walk with God and the Holy Spirit, and he'll challenge us over things like that. So, surrendering our will, becoming a servant, I believe, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's at the door of, um, uh, of, of the holy place. And um, I said that bread was sprinkled with frankincense, which is a, a symbol of worship. And you know, as the psalm said, as Jesus came to this world, he said, I delight to do your will, O God. And it was for the joy that was set before him. And to do the will of God for us should be a joyful thing. It shouldn't be a, 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 a you know, arm twisted up the back. And, uh, you know, as, as often preachers say, you know, God, he quotes that verse from, um, I forget where it is now, it's in, in one of the epistles. You know, God loves a cheerful giver. And that not only applies to our money, but God does love a cheerful giver when it comes to money. That's the context of the verse. But he loves us to give cheerfully to him. It's part of our worship. He longs for us to be part, part of his great mission. You know, it's exciting to be a believer. It's exciting to be on God's side. God's got great things. I believe, you know, this, uh, we're entering into a new, a new phase. God's taking us into something fresh and new. And uh, this, is the, this is the entry point where we, we come to the Lord and say, yes, not my will, but yours be done. The first thing in my life is not my comfortable home. The first thing in my life is building your temple in me. And also... The interesting thing is, those loaves, there were 12 loaves on that table. 12 loaves, because there were 12 tribes of Israel. And God's saying, look, this is not just an individual thing that we're about. It's a communal thing. You know, he wants every loaf to be there. And every loaf arranged properly. So that 
you know, it's, it's okay um, if, if the worship group is, uh, sorry, it's not okay if the worship group is fantastic and my life group isn't. You know, ev- every part of the body, God is asking us to, let's get this in order. Let's get this uh, surrender. Let's have every person in this church surrender to him and being part, being part of his great mission. Because, you know, I, I mentioned um, earlier the next uh, item of furniture was that candlestick, the famous Jewish candlestick, the menorah. Seven branches fed by oil. And we want to be people who can come onto that candlestick and receive light from the Holy Spirit. And Jesus gives us a clue to this. You see, he says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because... Now, why is, why is Jesus' judge, judgment um, good and, and fair and right? Why is he seeing everything in, in absolutely the right order? Is it because, oh, I'm, I'm the son of God? Uh, is it because, well, I'm, I've obeyed all the Jewish law, which of course he had? No, he says this. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So the will of God, to do the will of God was his food. To do the will of God was his inspiration. To do the will of God was what made his judgment just, pure, and right. And so, you know, the, the oil and the wine and everything only comes in its fullness as we seek his kingdom only, as one of our songs says, you know. That at least we put him first. You know, I really challenge each one of us. I'm challenging myself too. You know, where, where are our hearts today? Where are our hearts? Are they to serve the living God? Are they behind what he's doing in this place? Are they behind what he's doing in the place where he's, he's planted you, if you're not a member of this church? Are our hearts for his kingdom? You know, the Lord's Prayer says... Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So it starts off with the Father. It starts off in the outer court. But then he says, then it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's the next step. And uh, it does take an act of our will. Because I say, God will not override your will. You have the responsibility. There are some things, you know, which... Um, uh, we wish that uh, we could just come to the front and have a zap from God and it would all work out. And some things it can. But there are some things where we have to take responsibility. There are some things where we have to come to the Lord and say, look, this, I'm, I'm putting my will under yours. Your will be done. And God expects us to come uh, and be part of uh, his, um, under his, his authority, under his um, lordship and kingship. And as we do that, the wine will flow. The Holy Spirit's illumination will come. Well, I think I've got time. And I just want to, we'll just push through, if you like, very quickly into the next part of the, of the temple of God. The, the final thing 
was an altar of incense. And um, the priest would carry blood there. It's interesting that the blood of Jesus or the blood of the sacrifice has to be everywhere in the temple. But um, this is a sacrifice of praise and worship. Here, special incense is uh, offered up to God. Uh, it's not got to be uh, honey or anything treacly. It's, it's something which is special and reserved for our worship to him. And that opens up the Holy of Holies for us. Where sorry, we find his real presence. Your loving kindness is better than life. As these are all from the Psalms. My soul is satisfied. Therefore in the shadow of thy wings, which is the um, Ark of the Covenant there, will I rejoice. My soul cleaves to you. You know, as I say, this is, this is why we're created. This is what God has made you for. To live in his presence. To be people of the Holy Spirit. Molded to his will. Of the same mind of the Lord Most High. And empowered by his spirit. And uh, there's nothing greater no, there's, there's no other purpose that we can be called to. You are made in the image of God. As, as a human being, you are made and created in the image of God. You're made as a container for his Holy Spirit. You're made to, res- to have him living inside you, empowering you, strengthening you, giving you wisdom giving you joy, the oil, the wine, and the bread, and the grain. That's why you're made. You're created for that. That's your purpose. Now, you can, you can choose to go against it, but that's what, and God gives you the choice. And perhaps today, you know, you've never actually said, yes, I do want to follow God. I want him to be real in my life. I want him to, uh, to, uh, to take charge. I want to follow him. Well, you have a good opportunity today just to give your heart to Jesus. Or perhaps you're one of these people that sort of said, well, okay, I'm a son, but I've been a prodigal son. I've been away from God. I've not uh, followed him as I should do. And I do want to come back. I want to come back into the family. I want to come back into my father. I want to, to have that robe put upon me, that robe of righteousness. I want to have the ring of authority on my finger. I want to be part of the mission that God is, is about. I want to be in his kingdom, his rule, under his authority. And uh, that's your choice. You know, nobody's uh, going to make that choice for you. That's your choice. So it's challenge each one of us today. You know, where, where are, we? are we? Are we building our temple? Are we, um, are we fulfilling God's highest and best in our lives? Or are we staying in that outer court? Let's together build the temple of God. Amen.